Amen. Amen. All right, now we left off in verse 17, and uh, that's the only verse we got through last week, which is fine. We had a good review there. We're not going to review everything, but if you pick up on 117 again, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, when you read your Bible, you need to be real practical when you read it. That verse didn't say that God did, Christ did not allow Paul to baptize. But look at the verse again. It says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to what? So the main emphasis of why Paul was sent was so he'd preach the gospel. But it didn't say, the Lord didn't say I could baptize. And so that's why we spent ad nauseum time last couple weeks dealing with the hyper-dispensationalist who says baptism is not for this age. And by now, I'm positive that you can identify a hyper-dispensationalist like that. Why? Because I've been running that thing and running that thing and running that thing. And it's kind of like repetition, repetition, you know, repetition, you got it. All right? So when you hear some fellow get up there and he's telling you the baptism not for that, that guy's a hyper. That means he hyper divides the scripture. He doesn't know what he's talking about and he'll take scripture out of context every time to do it. He said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Yes, Paul was sent. The main emphasis was preaching. Amen. And he says, uh, not with wisdom of words. So when you're dealing with preaching, it's not about how great of an orator you are. Now, I will admit, when someone can speak and speak well, it, it is a little easier on the ears. And some people are just, well, they're hard to listen to, probably like me many times. You're like, oh, just, just get out with it and get it done. But, uh, but you've got you've to be careful that you're not expecting an oratorical presentation. Because why? Because what happens is it negates the message of the cross of Calvary. It negates the gospel when you're looking for a polished repertoire, a polished outcome. He says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of what? None effect. When you get up there, and I didn't say you're not studied. I, lo- I, I sat down with my family then, and I watched a video of this uh, fellow who was a perfect example of a man who refused to study the scripture and just opened them up to any spirit that was out there. And what, you want to talk about what a mess that was because there's multitudes of men across this country who are professing some kind of Jesus or professing some kind of Christ and they'll get up there and they won't study and they'll just open themselves up to some spirit. You know, you get some kind of cool electronic thing in the background and some kind of woo and all of a sudden, you know, oh yeah, and Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me and you know, what you need to do is, right? And you just open yourself up to every cotton-picking unholy spirit out there. And you ask my family, that stuff was a mess. As a mess. You got to be careful about how that thing is, lest you make the cross of Christ none effect. For the preaching of the cross, verse 18, preaching the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is what? The power of God. Now, the world says it's foolish to sit around preaching. You know what you're doing tonight? The world says what you're doing tonight is foolish. They'll say a few more choice words. They'll say, you're an idiot for sitting under a fellow preaching like I do. You're a fool, the world says, to sit under preaching. The world thinks it's foolish to to not come to church and have all sing. And that's why the push in modern churches today, according to the Bible, not according to my opinion, is to have all programs or programs or whatever you call the thing. Programs or all singing. Let's get all singing. Isn't it interesting how you can pack a house on a sing-in, but if we advertise just straight preaching, no barbecue, no s'mores, no campfire, no hayride, no pumpkin pie, no hot chocolate, 
no, you know, desserts like the best in the world that Sister Shirley makes. And if you make one, I'm sorry I missed you too. But none of that stuff, just straight preaching how much more difficult it would be to fill the church house minus all the other programs. Why? Because that's the main emphasis. That's what God uses. Because the Bible says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Look at down to verse 21. You know, this world will accept anything at all but preaching. It'll accept anything at all but preaching. And 21, it says, it pleased God by the foolishness of what? Now, you want to keep that word. New Bibles throw that thing out. You want to keep that. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to what? To save them that believe. So God's method, how a man is to be saved and how it pleases the Lord, is for someone to get up and preach or you to go preach to them. Leave the, uh, I don't care if it's in the comfort of your home or walk across the street or stand on the street, but just go preach. And that's how God chose to save those that would believe. It wasn't through singing. You, don't, you, you might be able to sing a message of the gospel, but you don't get up and sing the gospel and people flood the aisles and go get saved. You get up there and preach Jesus Christ crucified. Why? It's the power of God. And that's what God chose and that's what makes God happy. All right, preaching is where you get your power. Preaching is where you get your power. You want to know why preachers or, or pulpiteers or puppets or whatever you want to call them, they've got no power in the pulpit because they don't preach. They give little homilies, little lectures, little uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, little uh, business platforms. But you've got to get up and preach. You've got to preach the Word. Remember last week, it's the Word. It's not the man. It's the Word. It's not the man. And uh, singing is encouraging, amen? And, and uh, you and I both need encouragement to get through it. We need to see each other. We need to see each other in the church house. We need to see each other. We're still living for God, still doing right. Why? Because I need to see that, but I might not be able to see it. But preaching is where the power comes from, and singing is not the main focus, but the power will always come from preaching. You say, what in the world is preaching? Well, it's publishing the facts of the gospel. Preaching is publishing the facts of the gospel. It's, it's reproof. Uh, preaching is getting chewed out or someone, preacher, getting up and yelling at you what shouldn't be done. You say, well, I'm not doing. That's still reproof. You still need to hear that from time to time. And when you were younger, your parents, if they had any sense at all, would yell at you from time to time and let you have it without letting you have it, wouldn't they? You say, why? What are they doing? They're just giving you some reproof. Why? So you'd stay straight. <laughs> Preaching is edification. Preaching is when you come around the Word of God or you're reading the Bible and it lifts you up and builds you up. Uh, preaching is instruction, it's correction, it's doctrine, it's salvation. And it doesn't matter what we think. There's, there's no hypothetical what-ifs in preaching. It matters only what God's book says. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. The old kid song said, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Well, it really settles it whether you believe it or not. Amen? Preaching. Preaching is a means of generating faith in the believer. You want to see somebody saved? Get them under preaching. That's why we say invite people to church if you can. Why? Because preaching, preaching possesses the power of God. Real Holy Ghost preaching possesses the power of God. All right, most Christians don't receive the power of God nowadays. Why? Because the preaching is not applied. The preaching is not applied. You can sit under the world's greatest preaching all week long, but if you don't take that and apply it, there's no power in your life. Uh, everyone's probably got a smartphone, or maybe some of you don't. You're blessed if you don't. And you probably got at least 100 apps somewhere on it or in the library or in the, the delete bin or something. And the, every app has a certain what? Application. And there's a certain use. So preaching has applications. And if you don't apply the preaching, uh, there's no power. 
there's no power. And that's why your parents, if they had any sense, said, if you would simply apply yourself, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that when I was in grade school, I'd have a bunch of nickels. And my parents, what they want me to do more than anything else is apply myself. Why? Because they saw something in me that I never did. You know what the Lord does if you're saved? He sees something about you that you don't see about yourself. So he says, you need to apply that preaching. That's where the power of God's at. All right, the power of God is not just the Holy Spirit. Listen now, the power of God is not just the Holy Spirit, but it's the preaching of Christ crucified and a crucified life. Uh, Jesus Christ, He died to save you and have fellowship with you. And the most thing to look for when you're looking for a church is not the church itself, it's the preaching. The most important thing to look for in a church is not the pastor. If you go to church and look at the pastor, well, you're going to be severely disappointed. Why? He's just a man. He should be a man. He's just a man. And you catch him on the wrong day, he'll throw a dud. You ever throw a dud in your Christian life? Sure you have. Sitting all pious like a bunch of possums that got hit by a semi or something, you know. But uh, you don't look at the pastor. It's not the people. Thank God. Not the people. Now, all we've ever heard from visitors here uh, that didn't have an extra grind with us was how friendly you are. That's how it should be. But it's not the people. You can be friendly, uh, friendly as a black lab that's, you know, 50 years old. But that's not going to get the job done. It's not the promotions and the you know, in the church or what they got going on. It's, it's not who's preeminent, but it's the preaching. It's the preaching, it's the preaching. And I know many of you know this, but it's, it's good to be reminded. Some people forget that. They forget that church is about Jesus Christ and the way we get in Jesus Christ or the way we receive that is through preaching. And what happens is people often forget that and then they get upset. You say, why? Because their little needs don't get met in the church house. Y'all still with me tonight? You're like, spaced out, man. And people get upset. Why? Preaching, their little needs don't get met, and all of a sudden church people don't become the main attraction anymore, and their kids aren't the main attraction. But preaching should always be the main thing. I'll tell you this, I'll go a step farther. There's no Sunday school in the Bible. And there's no cell phone in the Bible either, but you got one. It doesn't matter whether or not something's in the Bible or the words in the Bible. It's whether you, it's, there's nothing wrong with Sunday school. I'm just saying in the day and age we live in, the attitude is you, you really have to have something for everyone to do. That's the modern church uh, message. You know, you've got, you've got to have a singles class. You've got to have a, a newlyweds class. You've got to have a, you know, an up-and-comers. You've got to have a college and career. You've got to have a, a, I don't know, a divorced class or something. My soul. You've got to have something for, you know, something for everybody. Well, how about preaching? Preaching, you get so many heads, they don't know what's going on. You've got to have classes for kids and young marriage and all the rest. But the Bible says what you and I need is preaching, Amen. bottom line. So the preeminent thing in any true Bible-believing church will be preaching. And uh, you need to pay attention to that because no matter where you go, the pressure in this day and age, listen now, the pressure is to get everything in the world off of the preaching. That's why you'll notice many preachers, they get this little 25-minute time slot. That's it. And they'll jam-pack that thing, and you'll have, you know, you'll have 15 minutes of announcements, and you have 30, 30 minutes of specials, and you'll have 10 minutes of, uh, of uh, 15 minutes of congregation. The preacher gets up, goes 20 minutes. 20 minutes? I'm just getting out of the hangar in 20 minutes. The preeminent thing should always be preaching. Why? That's where the power of God is, that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. Why? Because 
Preaching pleases God more than anything else at all. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. All right, Paul's bringing that thing forward over from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 14. And here's the thing, you need to look at that thing. Uh, There's something out there called the literary law. All right, now the literary law is this. Any author can quote his own work the way he wants to. You see that? Any author can quote his work the way he wants to, and he doesn't have to quote his own work verbatim. You say, why you say that? Well, the reason I say that is because a lot of destructive critics of the Bible will say, well, that's not how that verse is exactly laid out in the book of Isaiah. But the literary law is the man who authored it. He can quote it however he wants. All right, now Brother Peacock, he writes a book, and I quote his work in a paper that I'm going to write. Guess what? i got to quote him, and i got to put a footnote at the bottom of his page. <laughs> but when the author quotes his own work, he can quote it however he wants, whether it's not verbatim from the Old Testament or not. And there are many, many places like that. And that thing's called the literary law, and it's much in effect today. Look at 1 Corinthians verse 19 again. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. <clears throat> now what's going on here is the Lord's taken the wisdom of the wise and he brings it to nothing. Brings it to nothing. He takes the understanding of the prudent and he brings that to nothing. And the verse is real plain. Look at 20. He says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He says, uh, They think the whole world revolves around these people and their power. He says, where are the wise? Uh, Where are the disputer of this world? All these people think they're so wise and so smart. And when they see the Bible is there, and that that book's the authority, not them, then comes in the strife and division. We're talking about Corinthian now, the church in Corinth. And they thought they were so smart, just like a lot of Christians do. They think they're so smart. And when you start thinking you're smarter than God, and you're smarter than everybody else, guess what? That's where the strife and division comes in. You know why people get upset with one another in the church house? Because they think they're so stinking smart. You know why people are at odds with one another? Because they think they're really smarter than they are. That's the greatest thing. The greatest thing you need to watch out for in 2020 is really thinking you're smarter than you are. That's, that's not too plain, is it? Apparently so. You've got to be careful. I mean, the Bible says, Let another man's lips praise thee and not your own, not, not your own right? Here's the thing. It's good to get praise. It feels good to get praised on something, but you've got to be careful how much you believe that. You know, you know the old saying goes, you see someone down at the shop and they get a promotion, don't they? I've seen it. And then all of a sudden, after a while, their whole personality has changed. And they get talking down there at the shop and you say, oh, you know what happened to old Joe there? No, what happened to old Joe? Well, he actually believed all the compliments he got about himself. <laughs> Why? He wasn't as smart as he... Think, you've got to remember this. In the Christian life, you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. In the eyes of Jesus Christ, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. But in your flesh, you still are nothing but a dirty, rotten sinner, and you got fleas. You're nothing but a Gentile dog. Amen. That's the right way to look at it. And there's, there's power in preaching, and there's power in that negative thinking. And some of you cringe when I do that because you haven't quite grown up yet. And I don't say that to be a jerk. I'm just saying you need to learn the power of negative thinking and the power of negative preaching. And you know that's right because this world does nothing but give you positive, positive, positive. The one radio station, Positive Hits FM. <laughs> you know, Positive hits. Like, you kidding me? All I hear all day long is 
Positive, positive, positive. What you need every once in a while is a good dose of negativity. Amen. Why? Because when all you got is positive and you split that thing in half, you did what Einstein did and you create fusion, you got yourself an atomic bomb. So you can't go through life all positive. Positive reinforcement. No, you need a little bit of negative reinforcement every once in a while. All right, remember now that Corinth is about 40 miles from Athens, amen? And the people have been studying what was going on in Athens. So if you look at the time period, this will explain why they thought they were so smart because the seed of knowledge is coming out of Athens 40 miles away. And they studied hard. These uh, people at the church of Corinth, they would study so hard, so what? So they could refute all the wisdom of this world. And they had all the philosophers and stuff, and that's the time all those, uh, those philosophers there, and I'm not going to take the time to go into to those fellows. They're a mess. Uh, but all those philosophers that were in Athens, and as a result of that, they had people that thought they were smarter than God because they had firsthand knowledge. Had firsthand knowledge to what was going on in Athens. Uh, let me show you something about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. Look at James chapter 3. Now, this is how you can identify this stuff. Now, it's interesting in the Christian life, someone get a whole little bit of Bible and all of a sudden they think they're smart. I remember back in about 1997, I got to thinking I was starting to learn me some Bible. And I was. I was learning line upon line, precept upon precept. I was learning the Bible like Arnold Schwarzenegger was taking steroids. Amen? And I was learning that thing so fast I didn't know what to do with half what I got. And about the time I thought I knew something, I got into a discussion, rather a debate, that I foolishly entered in and got my head took off with it. About the time you think you know something about that book, the Lord will let someone come along that knows about ten times more and he'll put you in your place. Uh, James chapter 3, look at verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? He's asking a question. Let him show out of a good conversation his, his works with what? Man, meekness. You tell me someone's going to be wise, you've got to be meek about that thing. You see that? Meekness of wisdom. All right, if you're smart, don't be a smarty pants. <laughs> look at 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, you see how that thing follows that? Bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Look at 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 16. For where envying and strife is, uh, there is a Baptist church, I mean, sorry, uh, there is confusion in every evil work. You see that? For envying and strife is, and, and what is the problem in Corinth? Strife, envy, and division. Why? Knowledge. Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. All right? <clears throat> Look at 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? All right, so the wisdom that's from above, the source is pure, isn't it? You see that? Now look, not only is it pure, but the next on that list in James 3.17, then what? Man, peaceable. How about that? You see, if you're going to learn something from this book, and it's true, and the Lord gives that to you, that thing's going to be pure, number one, and peaceable, number two. You're not going to be fighting with everybody. You're not going to be tearing up a church over what you think you know. You see that? Right from the Bible. Then, how about number three, gentle, and then easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. All right, so Brother James tells us very clear that the source is not pure. The source is not pure. And therefore, since the source is not pure, the wisdom is not pure. See, when you get your wisdom from an impure source, 
It negates it. It negates it. You say, how so? All right, if your source is the television for all your wisdom, all your spirituality, all your, all your profound wisdom, if your source is social media, amen, amen, if your source is Fox News, if your source is the radio, and then all them little videos you watch, guess what? You're probably going to have a little bit of confusion going on. All right? All right, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 real quick. Now, if you're wondering why that there's people always getting mad and always people getting upset to you when you're talking about someone involved in heresy, I'm going to show you why. James says it's first pure, then peaceable. Now, you know, those people are not at peace. They're not at peace at all. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, must not strive, but be what? Gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose himself, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. 26, and that they may recover themselves, themselves, recover themselves, out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. All right, the problem, the problem with these individuals are always getting upset and always getting mad as they won't receive the truth. You need to think about that and put that thing in park for about two or three weeks. People, they get mad, they get upset. Why? They will not receive the truth. Grab uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for a second. And I want to run this one with it for you, give you a little bit of cohesion on it. Problem with people is they won't receive the truth. They won't receive the truth. Now look, it's not your job to make them accept the truth either. But the Lord might use you to deliver the truth. And when they get mad, you need to understand it. You need to understand why they're mad. They're not mad at you. You might be the object in the pathway of their anger, their being upset, but they're not mad at you. They probably, honestly, all, you're not even really part of the equation. The fact is, is they, won't, they, won't, they won't take truth. And when you don't take truth... When you reject light, guess what happens? It becomes lightning and it bites you. So you got a, you got a world full of bitter Christians in 2020. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 13, look at verse 6. Now we could get up there and point our fingers in the political arena and the heavy political flavor and we could probably get everyone to shout everyone down. But wouldn't you like something that would help you? Wouldn't you like something that will help you out for the rest of this week? Help you not get all worked up and angry at people in the church? Worked up and how to get some victory over things in your own personal life that will draw you closer to Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, there's plenty of topical things we can dibble-dabble in and sh- shout out about, but it won't do us a lick good as a Christian. Look at 1 Corinthians 13:6. The Bible says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but what? Rejoiceth in the truth. So that chapter 13 is not the love chapter, but it's the charity chapter. And uh, charity, it's, it's not an emotion, it's an action. So uh, charity is the most mature type of love you'll find in the Bible. So what we know about charity, which is the most mature type of love, is it what? It wants the truth. It rejoices in the truth. And that's not just positive truth either. That's negative truth. See, Christians usually can uh, stomach a full plate of positive truth. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. All right? That's great. If you're saved, one day you'll go to heaven. Amen, preacher. Looking forward to heaven. Amen. Looking forward to a new body. Amen. Looking forward to being able to run the streets of gold and not throw them a hip out. Amen. 
but you got a problem with your thoughts while you're down here. Now hold on, preacher. Don't you even go there. You got a problem with your mouth. Uh, just hang on. You got no right. I got no right. That's still truth. It just happens to be negative. Amen. Amen. Your nose is big. Your feet stink, and you don't love Jesus. Amen. <laughs> negative truth, right? But the Bible says the most mature type of love, it rejoices in the truth. So you can spot a carnal Christian by what? His, how he handles truth. You ever yell at your kids? No, not anybody here. No, we always put them in time out and say, no, you shouldn't do that. You ever yell at your kids? You can tell what, the, how, what their attitude is by the, how they take it. When the Lord rebukes you, when the Lord corrects you, you know what he's looking? He's looking to see if you learned anything. How are you going to take it? You know how you look at a, uh, an employee in the workplace? You look how he handles rebuke. You look how he handles a write-up. Right? And you're all real quiet today. Amen. Amen. And so the, the, Bible, the Bible says, not pastor says, but the Bible says that charity rejoiceth in the truth. Are you one that rejoices in the truth? Even when it steps all over your toes? And that what we say in modern-day America, well, I really stepped all over my toes. Well, get your toes out of the way, man. <laughs> All right, but their problem is they won't receive the truth. And when you won't receive the truth, guess what? Light becomes lightning, and therefore your source is impure. Go over to Titus chapter 3. Now look, Christian, I understand that as a one-hour segment of preaching, I will never be able to overcome uh, a hundred and however many hour work week some of y'all work. What I'm saying is this as a preacher, I'm very limited in my ability to put truth about waist high because many of you are trying to swim and ford through the stream of this world all week long. And the amount of truth you get is very minimal and minuscule to what you have to deal with. So that's why it's even more important to rejoice in the truth. Why? Because you're surrounded by this world 24-7. And that's why we come in here, we try to sing three hymns or four hymns. Why? Because we're trying to beat back everything that's been beating you to death all week. Titus 3. Look what Paul says to young Titus, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are what? Unprofitable and vain. Verse 10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now you notice there that heretic, he, uh, that's a fellow involved in the things of verse 9. He's not interested in the truth, all right? Verse 11, knowing that he, uh, he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. And a subverted person is somebody with a heart problem, heart problem, heart problem. You ever notice when a tree bears uh, infected fruit or rotten fruit, the problem is not the tree, the problem is usually with the root. And the heretic has here in verse 10 has a problem. He's got a problem. His problem is that he doesn't want the truth. And the church at Corinth had a real problem. They didn't rejoice in the truth. They didn't want the truth. They were wrapped up in the worldly uh, wisdom, and they were wrapped up in what they could know and who's who and, and who baptized who and who was saved under who. Very carnal church. And uh, they are very hung up in their own philosophy, and that's what you got going on in the church at Corinth. They've got their own wisdom. Now, if you're not careful, Christian, uh, you'll develop your own wisdom. You'll think because you're 50 or 60 or 70, and I say this uh, with charity, you'll think that you know something. Well, that may be, and I might come to you for advice on how to trim my windows and cut the grass and do everything else, but you've got to be careful how much you think you really know. Why? Because it could be just earthly, sensual wisdom, and the Lord doesn't really have a hold of your heart. 
But uh, in Corinth, they have their own wisdom, they got their own knowledge, and they think they know more than God. They think they know more than God's man. That's what you got going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And that's why, that's the reason for those contentions that are going on. you got to remember that some people study, the only reason they study is for the reason of causing trouble. you got to think about that. Some people, the only reason they look up facts and the, some, the only reason they study stuff down is just so they can cause trouble and fight. Never forget that. There are people in the church of Corinth, they're going over to Athens to all these philosophers so they could show off their knowledge. Now, you've got to remember, like we said before, knowledge what? Puffeth up. The more you know, the bigger head you're going to get. And in the Baptist church, a Bible-believing Baptist church, you've got to be careful that you just don't come to church so you can learn one more thing because what's going to happen is you're going to have to walk through that door. We're going to have to make the doors bigger because your head's so big. You're going to have to get a bigger hat size every time you come in. You've got to make sure the estimation of that truth is right. And these uh, people in Corinth, they wanted to show off how much they had learned or how much they know. And you've got to remember, Christian, whenever the book, whenever this Bible is not the authority, there will always be strife. So if that's the case, which we know it is an absolute truth, go back to the last token in your life, the time in your life, maybe it's this week, maybe it's today, maybe it was last month, last year, where there was just nothing but strife. That was a time and place in your life where the book was not an authority. Now, you've got to go back and look at that thing. The last time there was a major blow-up, the last time the major fiasco, last time there was a major meltdown. In Houston, we have a problem, and you're sucking all the air out of the room, you know, and everyone's getting all red in the face. Why? Because that book refused to be an authority in your life at that moment. You took the authority in your own hands. You dropped the book and went with you, your own wisdom. <clears throat> a lot of Christians are like that. They want to... All they want to do is corner you and show you how much they know or how much they think they know. You've got to work that thing through. And there's going to be contention. You're going to be con- Look at verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now, this is some tough stuff in the book of 1 Corinthians, but can I tell you, it's absolutely applicable in 2020. And let me tell you, what, if you can sit through preaching like this, you can sit through anything. You can sit through anything at all. Because what this stuff is, is not kicking the Methodists, it's not pick- kicking the Pentecostal, it's not kicking the, the Anglicans, you know what it's doing? It's kicking your own conscience. And it's saying, am I right on this stuff? Do I need to fix it? Do I need to change it? Do I need to look at it? Do I need to apply some things that I've learned but i am not been applying? Look at 121. The Bible says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now, isn't that something? Did you catch that? You ever notice that it's not smoking and drinking and cussing and fornicating that, makes, that turns people away from God? You know what turns people away from God in that passage right there? Education. You looking at that thing? Look at the verse. The world through what? Wisdom. The tree that Eve partook of was the tree of, oh my, knowledge of good and evil. You need to take, you need to take note of that thing. Very, I've never known, a, and I'm not saying it's healthy, I'm not condoning it, but you'll find that people in the church house that smoke and drink rarely tear up a church. Rarely tear up a church. Matter of fact, I don't know of any. Matter of fact, people I do know that smoke, they try to hide the thing. They're, why? They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. they got to have it. They can't kick it. It's got to hold them. It's got them in the stinking full Nelson. They're choking and coughing and stinking and all the rest, and they're trying to quit it, and they can't. They can't, and every time they quit, the devil puts their brand on sale. Amen. And some old boy, he'd been trying, he's chewing for 25 years and got holes in his gums, and he tries to chew, and every time he chews, his stuff goes on sale. 
So then he goes and buys a log of it, and he gets home, he feels bad after he's wasted 40 bucks and throws a thing out. You see, that's how that thing works. But it's wisdom. It's wisdom. It's education. People get too smart for God. Look at it again. For after that, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, what? Do not God. So modern education, you know what it is? The more you know, the more tendency you have to forget God. The more education you get, the only reason you get educated is so you begin to accept more sin. Now, I'm all for being educated. I don't think you ought to be an idiot. Amen? I think you ought to be smart as you can, especially if you have a, a field. Uh, if you have uh, some gals are in the medical field, please be at the top of your class, amen. <laughs> Especially if you're going to work on me, you know. Brothers in law enforcement and, and other people who have done other things, be at the top of your class. Develop yourself. Why? It's important. The Bible says that the soul be without knowledge is not good, Solomon said. But the thing is, is when you're just, you're just educating, the, the main attraction to education is right here in this verse. The world through wisdom knew not God. So then he finishes the verse by saying, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So like we said before, preaching makes God happy. You say, you tell me, preacher, you running your yap and you being negative and oftentimes sarcastic, that makes God happy? When I'm telling you the truth, you betcha. Now this is not how I talk to people in the real world. Why? You're sheep. I'm a sheep. Preaching's different. Preaching is absolutely different. If this... If this pulpit gets cold, you're in trouble. Not only are you in trouble, but boy, am I in trouble. You see this pulpit cool down, there's going to be trouble on the horizon. The pulpit can't cool down. That doesn't mean you've got to be an idiot. That doesn't mean you have to be cruel or mean or vindictive. But some of you better be careful how cool you want me to be. Because that coolness, that's a satanic drive. But preaching makes God happy and... What you and I as Christians, what we need to do is we need to like what God likes and hate what God hates. You ever just sit down one day and think, I wonder if I like what God likes? You ever just stop and think, I wonder if I hate what God hates? I say, well, we shouldn't hate. You know why you say that? Because you listen to the news media more than you read your Bible. The news media has got you thinking that hate is a bad thing. Well, I suppose if you took the definition of hate the way the news media does it, I suppose it is a bad thing. But that's not the biblical definition of hatred. David said that he hurt, hates his enemies with perfect hatred. Explain that one. You can in the light of CBS, NBC, and Fox News. Because if you say the word hate, you're going to prison. You're going to jail. It's a crime. Oh, why is it a crime to do something that you ought to do? You ought to hate what God hates. Does God hate sin? Well, then you ought to hate sin. But we watch it 24-7. We laugh at it. We make jokes about it. And then we find ourselves committing it. Why? Because we expose ourselves to it. But the Lord, He likes preaching. You know, the Lord, He likes preaching better than He likes baseball games. Amen? He likes preaching better than He likes football games. I hate to say it, He likes preaching better than He likes being on the shooting range. Amen? <laughs> I find it hard to believe, but He does. <laughs> he likes preaching better than He likes business. He likes preaching better than He likes work. He likes preaching better than anything else. And it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? You say, why? It's foolish. It's foolish. Foolishness of preaching. Isn't that wild? Because in Ecclesiastes 5.3, you know, Solomon, the wisest man next to Jesus Christ, said that a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words, and a preacher never shuts up. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's all preachers do is run their mouth. Every preacher, he meets every single opposition from the pulpit with an open mouth. Isn't that something? God told you that a fool's mouth is known by a multitude of words, and then he told the preacher to get up there and open his mouth, and I will fill it, he said. 
But God, preaching pleases God. God likes it. Whether or not people like it or not, God likes it and it pleases Him. Now think about it. Think about real preaching. This is the message of real preaching. Trust Jesus Christ for everything. No commands. No works. You're not involved with anything. Jesus Christ will take care of everything in eternity. That's the craziest thing you ever heard. That's why the world thinks it's foolish. Most people that you would consider in their right mind, if you want to say that, they'd never come into a church and and let a preacher talk to them the way I talk. And, And then on top of that, four times a week. Four times a week, man. And you have to ask yourself a question, are you even right in the head? And that's the thought being conveyed here in verse 21. Preaching is foolishness. Foolishness. You know why? You know why some of you all might consider it foolish? Because you don't subject yourself to enough of it. The more you subject yourself to Bible preaching, the more you get a hankering for it. Is that even a word? I just made it up. It's something I heard Grandpa say, I guess. Hankering. It's in the dictionary somewhere. But the more preaching you subject yourself to, the more you want it. I mean, if you love the truth, and if you rejoice in the truth, and you have been under enough preaching to be able to identify what real preaching is versus what it ain't, man, you get a hankering for preaching, man. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 22, 1 Corinthians 1.22. Now the Bible says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, uh, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 22. 22. I'll give you this. Some you know it, some you don't. That's all right. We'll cover it. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Now, uh, back there in verse 22, 1 Corinthians 1, that Bible, said, that Bible teaches you something. Paul is teaching you something. He's teaching you something doctrinal, too. And if you miss this, you'll be screwed up on tongues and signs and all the rest of the charismaniac stuff there. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, 22... The Bible says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that what? Believe not. All right, so if you follow the modern day charismatic movement, you know what you think? You think that the entire place is full of unbelievers. Now you take that thing, I'll throw you one more. Uh, Go on over to uh, verse 34. The context of that chapter is tongues. The context of that chapter is tongues. Verse 34. I'll let your women keep silence in the churches. It's talking about tongues, talking about speaking in tongues. and not talking about a woman can't talk, a woman can't teach. That's not what it's talking about. You know who all your tongue talkers are? Females. They don't believe the King James Bible more they can throw the Buick across the road. So you just take those two things. Those tongues, they were for a sign for those that believe not. They're not for a sign. You know, everyone's looking for a sign. And why are you looking for a sign? 1 Corinthians one twenty two says the Jews require a sign. That's why when Moses showed up in the desert, what got his attention was the burning bush. Why? Because that nation was founded on a sign. So when Jesus Christ shows up, he shows up doing what? Signs and wonders. And in the tribulation, when the Lord is going to rescue Israel and they're going to accept him as Messiah, the Antichrist comes doing what? Signs and wonders. You see that? It's Jewish all the way through. So to actually think as a charismatic or a Pentecostal or assembly, whoever you are and however you're doing it now and Ostelishana and all that stuff, that stuff don't add up. Not according to the Bible, it doesn't. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's why everyone's chasing down a doctorate's degree. That's why everyone, it's doctor this, isn't it? 2020, doctor this and doctor that and doctor this. And here we have doctor so-and-so with us today and he's written 55 books in 22 years. And he's got 328 years of experience on Lego building. Well, come on up here. Why? Greeks require a, uh, Greeks seek after wisdom. 
Seek after wisdom. All right, so you will not take anything from anybody unless they're a doctor. You won't read their stuff. You won't consider them much of anything else unless they have what? Credentials. Yeah, that's modern America. Well, that Bible is right through on the money, just as up-to-date as it was then. All right. Now, the Jews get the sign, not the Greeks. Uh, You think back to Moses. Moses was a Jew. He had to handle a snake, and he heals the sick. And that's the first two signs that show up over there. Moses sticks his hand in his bosom, and he pulls it out leprous, and he puts it back in, and he pulls it out, and it's healed. And if you look at those two things that happened to Moses, you get to Mark chapter 16. It really explains it for you. really explains it for you. And I'm not a Jew, but the signs ended when God began dealing with the Gentiles. Plain and simple. When God turned and began to deal with the Gentiles and he set the Jews aside, those signs stopped. All right, verse 23. The Bible says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. You say, well, preacher, why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? Well, it's real simple, because the Jews wanted to keep their works. They wanted to keep the law. They wanted to keep the commands without Jesus Christ. They're self-righteous. That's why it's a stumbling block. That's why they stumble over it. Remember, the Jews stumble over what? The New Testament. You know what trips you up? Old. Amen. You're not going to sit here and tell me, oh, that Old Testament it just makes perfect sense to me. I'll get a home, go get a couple pigeons and bring them in and have to, you know, wring their heads off and drip the blood on the right toe and the right toe and this and that and the other and pull out the call and the kidney and the fat on the... Uh, you say, well, why is it foolishness to the Gentile? Well, because the, they're preaching to the Athenian philosophers and it's foolishness to the Gentiles because they think they're so cotton-picking smart. You see that? That's why it's foolishness because Gentiles think they're smart. The Greeks think they're smart. And uh, Paul preaches Christ crucified, and you need to know that's the right type of preaching. That's the right type of preaching. You want to know the preaching that will help? Preaching about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. That's what will help people. I mean, you can preach on alcohol, that's fine, you know, so forth and so on. You can preach on booze, you can preach on dope, you can preach on all kinds of stuff for reproof and all that. But the preaching that's going to have the power, the preaching that's going to help you, besides learning the Bible line upon line and precept upon precept, is preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the power of God. Now, preaching Christ crucified is the right kind of preaching because in, uh, you go over to Acts chapter 17, 32, Paul goes over and there preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Acts 17, 32. And you know what happens? Some of them believed. Uh, some of them said, we'll listen again, and some of them were fickle. So every time you get in the church house and if there's lost people in there, there's a, there's a good possibility some will believe and some will walk out the door and say, yeah, we'll hear you later on it. That's where the power is at. That's where the power Look at 24. 24. 24, the Bible says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. Simply put, easy, nice and plain. God's foolishness is wiser than men. Now, you know God's not foolish. That's a sarcasm. That's sarcasm in your King James Bible, in case you didn't see that. God's weakness is stronger than men. You really think God's weak? But if he had any weakness, it would be a whole lot stronger than you and me put together. You ever stop and think that Christ was, Christ was stronger as a baby than Herod was while he was on the throne? How about this? Christ was stronger while he was there and nailed to the cross and Judas was running around trying to betray him? That's the thought. 
That's the thought. You got to be careful. The flesh destroys you. The flesh destroys uh, when you get to thinking you're something that you're not. And uh, without Jesus Christ, you can't do anything at all. You can't do anything at all. Christ is the power of God, that verse says. The Bible is the power of God. Preaching is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And you and I have nothing to do with it whatsoever. It's Christ, the power of God. Look at 26. Grab a few more. I'm wearing you out. I can see it already. 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after... Let me tell you what. I love you all. But I'm going to stand before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord's going to look at me, and he's going to say, uh, he's going to know the answer, but he's going to ask me. He's like, what did you feed them, people? I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to try to get up there and say, Lord, I went so fast they got mad at me sometimes. When I first came here in 14, they were screaming at me to slow down. I asked my family. And finally, two little old ladies, they got to praying. They don't come here no more. That's fine. They got to praying. I didn't even know about it. And so I come up on one Wednesday, and I had my, you know, stack of notes a mile high, and I'm ready to shift her and over. I just crank through that thing. And all of a sudden, I'm not being charismatic, but I'm like, the Lord impressed me. You need to chill out a second. I'm like, and I just geared it down some. And after, after I got done with that thing, I took it unusually slower than I did before. Them old ladies were beaming, just had red cheeks and smiles. And they said, we prayed that you'd slow down tonight, preacher, and you did. <laughs> but anyways, verse 26, uh, so we'll try to slow her down a little. For see, you see, you're calling, brethren, how that... Now look at this. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. You think about Sunday's message, you get a chance, Nehemiah 3, chapter 5. So Paul is talking to the Christians. He's talking to the Christians. And we say this, you don't find too many wise PhDs, biblically speaking. That's what that verse says, I'm telling you, spot on. You don't find too many mighty men, too many strong Christian athletes. I mean, <clears throat> Bob will understand when I say this, but you know, the only Christian athletes I say, besides that one fellow that painted his cheek, uh, the, the colored people, they speak up more than the white people do. I think a Reg, what's his name, Reggie White? Reggie White, big old linebacker. Boy, he grabbed that microphone, he'd preach on NB stinking C. And they, oh, okay, thank you. Well, Reggie, what do you think about the, you know, well, it was Jesus. Jesus was there helping me all the way, you know, Jesus. And I, you know, Jesus, and they take the mic from him. Oh, okay, Reggie, was it your training? No, it was Jesus. <laughs> but the colors, they'll speak up before the white people will. And you can, uh, you can search that stuff out, man. There's a library full of it. But not too many mighty men, not too many strong athletes. You don't find many noble men, noble men. You don't find too many kings that are God-fearing and presidents and governors that do anything at all for God. They don't. Uh, I didn't say you don't find any, but you don't find many. Generally, the wise men are using something, their wisdom, for their own gain. I mean, you take a fellow like Bill Gates, never professed Jesus Christ a day in his life. He used everything he can for his own guts, and then you, you see where he's at. You take Steve Jobs, never professed Jesus Christ a day in his life. Probably built one of the biggest, strongest financial empires, and emaciated away. Was he saved? I have no idea. Never professed Jesus Christ. Not many wise men. Not many presidents. Not many princes or kings. Not many of those are called. What Paul's saying is the majority of what people pursue in their life may knock them out of God's call. Did you catch that? 
majority of what people pursue in their life may knock them out of God's call. You better be careful what you just have to pursue. I'll get practical with you for a second. You've got to be careful what you just have to run and go do. Why? Because there's a real good possibility to knock you out of God's call. I didn't say it won't knock you out of your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But a lot of people don't do anything for Jesus Christ because they're too busy pursuing what they want to do. You know, you pursue your career, pursue entertainment, pursue pleasure, pursue family, pursue friends, pursue whatever it is you're pursuing. Man, you got to be careful about that stuff. Why? Because if you're not careful, what you personally pursue will knock you out of what God wants you to do. You think, oh, Queen Elizabeth there. She's a born-again Christian. Queen Elizabeth. And she used to say this, she was saved by an M, according to that verse. Saved where it says not many. It didn't say not any, but Queen Elizabeth said she was saved by an M. Because he said, not many. And she's a royal, she's a born-again Christian. All right, the issue is not the office. The issue, again, is not the achievement. The issue is not the job. It's the issue that the smarter that you think you are, or stronger you think you are, the nobler that you think you are, the less likely you are to recognize your need for Jesus Christ and the need of others for Him and not for yourself. In other words, it's him that does the helping. It's him that does the preaching. It's him that he has to give through you and not to you yourself. You see, after you get saved, you'll turn around and realize that just not many big shots ever make it. Not many big shots ever make it. And I don't understand why, but Christians have a real proclivity to want to be a big shot. And uh, there was a real streak of that up my backbone for a number of years with a company I worked for. But after getting my head beat in around the world and the Lord taking me through a few ringers, I'm like, yeah, this whole pursuit of being a big shot, man, that's a dead end. Why? Because you have to step over some, you have to step over some principles. You've got to step over ethics. You've got to step over doctrinal boundaries to get what you want. Not many big shots are called to do much for God because they use God to accomplish their goals. They use God to accomplish their paths and they use God to accomplish their wills. They're self-willed and you've got to fight against being self-willed in the Christian life. Why are you doing what you're doing right now? Is it because God wants you to do it or is it because you're self-willed and it's what you want to do? There's a real danger in the Christian life of just always chasing what you want to do. Every once in a while, it would be good for every Christian just to sit back and say, all right, Lord, the thing that I'm running after, the thing that I'm really pursuing, uh, is it really what you want? And we can say on the surface, it's what God wants. Are you willing to step back from that thing and say, Lord, if you want it, you go ahead and take it, and I'll go the other way. You say, but a lot of us won't because we've got too much invested in what we're pursuing. But you've got to be careful about what you're pursuing in the Christian life. When you got there pursuing what you want to do, you might run the risk of throwing yourself off of God's will of what he's got for you to do. Not many big shots make it. Not many at all. But God uses, God uses weak things. God, I mean, if you, if you didn't know about that, just look in the mirror tomorrow morning and see what God uses. <laughs> Amen? You ever just look at yourself in the mirror? I mean, before you do all the... You know, all that stuff. You ever just look at yourself? I mean, like, out of bed, four in the morning look, and you're going, man, that's what you got to work with, Lord? <laughs> God uses weak things, don't he? God uses base things. And I know that doesn't make us uh, feel good, but it sure is a, a good picture of what God... You ever stop and think what God got when you got saved? I mean, you got everything through him, but he got you. Man, someone got a bad deal. Lord got a bad deal when he got me. 
Man, he got a bad deal. But God uses weak things in the Bible. You see that? The Lord likes to use weak things. The same thing goes with the Bible. You ever stop and think the Bible is not going to be used? The Bible is going to use you and not the other way around. But God uses weak things. Most people tell you that it's foolish to put spiritual things ahead of physical things. We're just about done here. And that's, uh, that's really where the, the cotton shops. Most people tell you it's foolish to put spiritual things ahead of physical things. That's why you see there's, there's always a lot of obstacles in our paths in the Christian life. Why? Because we often put everything ahead of spiritual things. Things ahead of spiritual things. You put the, people think it's foolish to put the unseen ahead of the seen. People think it's foolish to put the eternal ahead of the here and now. You ever stop and think of this? How foolish most people think that knowledge of the Bible, your knowledge of the Bible and preaching, should be secondary to modern education. That's what most people think. They think it's foolish for you to spend so much time studying the Bible. They think it's foolish to you. I mean, if you, if, I'm not saying you do, but let's say you spend a half hour a day in the Bible. If you spent a half hour a day in the Bible and you told somebody about that that was unsaved, they're like, that's a waste of time, man. I mean, you could be getting your grass mowed for the last time, you know. Be sealing up your windows or something. Be cleaning out your chimney. Well, nevertheless, the Lord says it's the most important thing there is. You say, what's the most important thing? Eternal things, things that you can't see. I want you to think about that as we close here tonight. The most important thing in this world is eternal things. It's not the job. I hate to say it, but it's not even the family. But it's eternal things. Because one day if you're saved, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I wonder how you're going to fare. The most important thing you and I can consume ourselves with now is getting our lives in order and prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what these, the church of Corinth had a real hard time. They're real carnal. And if this stuff is a little bit abrasive, just, just let the Holy Spirit shine the light. Why? Because if you take the truth, he'll give you a little bit more. Amen. Watch you stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.